the Morelite journey of this congregation, working for the inclusion of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer persons in the life of the church and culture, is an important story to tell as we mark the 190th anniversary of this congregation and experience a year of stewardship. Please note the extensive timeline included in the bulletin to help us remember how many have done so much for so long. It seemed fitting this morning to ask two of our long-standing and highly inspiring leaders, Betty Iwan and Ralph Carter, to share their perspectives. I'm grateful to Betty and Ralph for so many things, including their willingness indeed to share this morning. And after Betty and Ralph speak, I'll add a brief coda to conclude our conversation. Since Third Church has always been a front runner in social justice issues, it is no wonder that it was a leader in approving ordination for gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgender persons, GLBT for short. Um, when I joined Third Church in 1976, little did I know that I would be speaking, uh, knitting scarves, uh, writing letters, and marching for equality toward that aim during the next 40 years. Three years after joining, I learned that the Presbyterian denomination in general and Third Church in particular uh, did not ordain, uh, were not able to ordain um, GLB per persons who were called and qualified. Uh, I was really dumbfounded when I learned this, and I had to decide whether I would stay with the Presbyterian Church or change denominations. Well, I am still here. In the mid-80s, Ralph and I were asked to serve on a task force to explore Third Church's response to a Book of Order section that prohibited unrepentant homosexuals from serving in ordained office. We were angry that our denomination had this policy. We knew we had work to do to convince others that this was wrong. Their wording was changed in 1997, but it was equally as discriminatory. It just didn't use the word homosexual. Originally, our task force was charged with maintaining a weekly support group for GLTB persons, recommending that session approve a statement that says we consider all members for ordained office who are called and qualified, and replacing the inequitable book of order language. We met weekly to study the Bible and consult with others. We arranged annual workshops for church officers and adult education for our congregation. And in those early days, we focused on what the Bible said and did not say about same gender relationships. The rationale for the discriminatory book of order policy was based on how supporters interpreted the clobber texts in the Bible. We thought we needed to fight back with alternative biblical understandings. We were not optimistic that policy shifts would happen fast. In fact, I remember sitting in Johnston Hall 
listening to a national speaker who was in his mid-30s saying that he did not expect the church to change in his lifetime. It was discouraging to hear that prediction. People's minds were entrenched with decades of prejudices against people who were sexually attracted to others of the same sex. Shortly after Third Church approved a statement of inclusion, I participated in a gathering of clergy and elders from Third Church and Brighton Presbyterian Church. Brighton Church and three other churches charged us with holding a position on ordaining persons that was against the Book of Order. This gathering was an attempt to talk the four churches out of filing an ecclesiastical court case against us. My stomach was churning in disgust at hearing all the harsh remarks made about those homosexuals. We were not successful in changing minds. Third Church was faced with an ugly remedial case. Our task force morphed into a committee of session and changing the denominational ordination policy was next on our agenda. We looked more seriously at what the Bible said about justice, equality, and love. We knew that God's loves all God's people and the Bible had lots to say about loving relationships. We also concluded that if you know people who are gay, then you are more likely to seek equal justice for us all. Ralph, Jim Stewart, and I gave talks and answered questions about the church and homosexuality at churches around upstate New York. Elder Jim Fisher, who moved to Greensboro, North Carolina during this period, also spoke to his presbytery about the injustices. Meanwhile, our committee advocated for change in local and federal laws. Third Church was one of the first churches to march in the Rochester Gay Pride Parade. Marching for us was both exhilarating and disheartening. Crowds cheered as we walked by with our Third Church banner. But we were blasted by some who shouted through bullhorns, homosexuality is sinful. You will go to hell if you do not repent. In 2008, I spoke to a committee of General Assembly in San Jose, California. I spoke in defense of an amendment to the Book of Order that would replace the discriminatory wording. The overture was written by our committee at third and brought by the Presbytery of Genesee Valley to the General Assembly. We were crestfallen when the overture failed again as similar ones had in the past. Well, a similar one was approved in 2010 after a majority of the Presbyteries also approved it. The door was finally open for ordination for all. Ideas and wisdom shared help us navigate life. Remember the book, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? Share everything. Say you're sorry when you hurt someone. Take naps every afternoon. And John, I think that's for you and me and a lot of us in this room. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands 
stick together. Then the adorable and durable songs that we learn in Sunday school that feed our spirit, like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And also, this little light of mine, I will let it shine. While I became a teenager, President Kennedy, then Dr. King, were assassinated. The Voting and Civil Rights Act passed. The Vietnam War raged. We landed on the moon. Woodstock happened. The Equal Rights Amendment for women began. Judy Garland passed away. And the riots against police raids happened at the gay bar Stonewall in New York City. That was a tumultuous time filled with great promise for the future. This young gay man knew God's love was unconditional. Though the world might vilify and condemn. My burning questions entering adulthood after moving to Rochester, is it possible to live authentically without secrets, without hiding? Is there a spiritual community who will fully embrace people like me, providing sanctuary when we are spiritually hurt or wounded? This morning I want to share three perspectives that I believe sustained us on this difficult journey together, which continues even now as we look into the future. Number one, love and cherish your community. I moved here because I admired Rochester's culture and music, but I came to really love Rochester for its historic leadership, for social justice for women, African Americans, and eventually for the queer community. I joined Third Church because I appreciate education, its music, sermons, strong mission. But I cherish learning that we hosted the formation of the Anti-Slavery Society of Rochester in 1833. We originated the national efforts to ordain female clergy in 1955 and became the largest congregation in the country to eventually declare its commitment to more light in 1987. These stories sustained us during the seven years considering more light. Perspective number two, there is strength and vulnerability. Did you know there are over 31,000 verses in the Bible, of which there are seven texts which purport to condemn same-gender loving people? We call them, as Betty mentioned, clobber texts. <laughs> and we would hear them endlessly. It makes you want, when someone hits you, you know, you just want to hit back, right? But remember Jesus' parable. If someone backhands you on your right cheek, like a subordinate, turn and offer your left cheek. They have to use, so if they want to hit you again, they have to use a fist and 
no longer treat you as a subordinate, but as an equal. Similarly, share your story with honesty and humility, inviting your neighbor to reciprocate. That invites Holy Spirit into the conversation, and that changes everything. Um, a third idea that I think sustains us, look for wisdom in the margins. The only way to make a circle from a tapestry is to gather and weave the margins together one by one. He's the ends of the tapestry together. After seven years of consideration, there was a final six-part adult education series before the session considered early 1987 whether to adopt a moralized uh, statement. Discussions were spirited yet thoughtful. At one gathering, I recall, Betsy Hudnut rose to speak, and some of you might remember that moment. Her late husband, Bill, had been the beloved pastor of Third Church for over 20 years. Betsy was normally a very quiet person and rarely spoke in public. She noted that although a number over the series had strongly encouraged us to take a stand for justice, there was some ambivalence about taking such a leap. Would we lose members or standing in the community by taking such a bold step? Betsy said, we speak fondly how Lillian Alexander authored the original overture that paved the way for women's ordination to ministry. How Session approved that overture in 1953, winning at Presbytery, then failing at General Assembly, only to return again two years later with a successful adoption in 1955. We are proud of our efforts then, but I remember, she said, the fear of uncertainty. This moment reminds me of 1953. The pressing matter then was women in leadership. The matter before us now, she said, has remarkable parallels. There are few congregations in this country who had the ability to lead in matters such as this. Third Church has that ability to provide leadership, if she so decides. Then she sat down, after which the room was completely silent as we pondered the remarkable, prescient words of one of our elders. In retrospect, my own mind really didn't need much changing. It made sense to me readily that homosexuality, as the language used to be, was not inherently a sin, and that persons of the same gender could live in loving and faithful relationships. Once I understood that, the rest was pretty straightforward. My time and energy since have been spent on two fronts, inviting the Presbyterian Church into that same perspective and seeking to hold in relationship those Presbyterians who could not come to that understanding. In 1996, 
when the General Assembly codified more formally and restrictively what had been policy and practice until then, and then reaffirmed it the next year, something called the Covenant Network of Presbyterians was born to work on constitutional change in the church, and frankly, to work on the straight middle part of the church. While more like Presbyterians and later that all may freely serve, continued their important ministries. Still in Chicago, I was privileged to be part of that initial core Covenant Network team, a nearly 20-year affiliation. In the earlier days, our case was made less using justice language, though that was always present, and more so churchy language on the ecclesial side of the debate. That is to say, a categorical prohibition not to even consider ordaining LGBT Presbyterians was certainly unjust, but it was also not very Presbyterian. Why? Well, it privileged ordination over baptism, which is not Presbyterian, creating a group of second-class citizens within the church, It preemptively restricted the work of the Holy Spirit, which is also not very Presbyterian. It took decision-making out of the hands of those who are most immediately given it, which is also not very Presbyterian. It made narrow arguments about the Bible, and while fighting about the Bible is very Presbyterian, (laughs) we are also committed to the whole Bible, and the important communal practice of interpretation. And it made even more difficult a very Presbyterian habit of living together in the face of disagreements. So what is very Presbyterian? It's to trust the Holy Spirit, take the Bible seriously, and find moments in our history where we have worked through difficult conversations in community to land at a new place. And that's what we sought to do. Therefore, I was pleased later to land at Third Church where the conversation had years of ramp up and then to see together how we might work more urgently for change. And by looking at that timeline, you'll see that it happened. The impact and the results of all of that work transformed ordination practices and an even quicker adoption of marriage equality. Thank God for that. At a funeral reception last summer out of town, several came to me to thank me for my work on all of this and had Betty and Ralph and so many others, many of you, many who have gone before us, been there with me. I hope I would have deflected all of that. You, you Third Church, early in the life of the church, saw a wrong and persistently, thoughtfully, lovingly, and passionately righted it, often in the face of deep discouragement. I'm grateful for that witness what it has meant, what it means to who we are now, and what it suggests for us going forward. This Morelite story matters on its own. 
in a stewardship kind of way and in an anniversary year. But it also matters as a symbol of other commitments and, I hope, future commitments, where we can use the best of our theological and biblical tradition, the strength of this community, and the power of our voice to make a difference. But for now, may we be thankful that the church did indeed perceive more light, and that even just a little bit more, all are welcome in this place. Amen.